probability that one or more team members may be infected by intruder organism. 75%. If intruder organism reaches civilized areas, entire world population infected 27,000 hours from first contact. Welcome back to the Thing Minute podcast, where we discuss John Carpenter's 1982 science fiction horror masterpiece, The Thing, one minute at a time. I'm Harper W. Harris from HarperWHarris.com, and joining me again today is... I'm Mark from the DC Cinematic Minute podcast, where we go through all the films within the DCEU, one individual minute at a time. Boy, that's, that's just insane to go through a movie one minute at a time like that. I mean, I, I don't know how you do it, man. What, those films or just films in general? Just films in general. <laughs> oh, yeah. I couldn't, yeah. Whose who's idea was to do minute by minute podcasts? Yeah. I mean, it's insane. And it, it would be even more insane if a bunch of other people started podcasts like that. So that, that would never occur. And we should probably just move on. <laughs> we should just stop. Everyone stop. <laughs> Kill the internet. <laughs> All right, so today we are talking about uh, minute 64 of the thing, which uh, begins with the end of that, uh, that close-up shot of the needle in Copper's arm and ends a minute later with uh, McCready hitting some buttons on his, uh, on his tape recorder, his trusty tape recorder. So yeah, so this minute starts with that, that needle shot where he pulls it out and does not break the needle in the arm, thus uh, solving... It looks like he's going to, right? <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, I don't know if that's like the right way to do it or not. <laughs> I, I wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I, I didn't mention it yesterday, but I, I talked about it uh, last week with Blair getting his shot, but I thought it was kind of funny that, um, I think it was in the commentary that John Carpenter says it was this one guy, this camera operator, Ray Stella, who volunteered to do all of these needle shots. He, I guess it just didn't bother him. So every time they show these close-ups of somebody getting a shot, it's his arm and not the actor's. Um, but I don't know who's giving the shot. So it might be this guy getting a shot from an actor, which is maybe just as scary. <laughs> Wait, he the camera guy wanted to get the shot or he wanted to give the shot get the shot he volunteered to be the one to get the shot for all of these um all of these shots of uh of needles huh and he like he he enjoyed that i yeah, i don't know if he enjoyed it or if maybe they like drew straws or like or yeah i don't want to like besmirch uh ray stella's good name but maybe he like maybe he had like a drug problem and this was like yeah that's what i was thinking. <laughs> like what is this like Oh, let me just placebo myself right now. Ah, it's the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that was all about, but uh, for whatever reason, he volunteered to uh, to take that that heavy responsibility on for the rest of the uh, so the actors wouldn't have to do it. <laughs> he probably he probably thought he was getting like real morphine. He was like, "What? What is this? You just give me like water? What? What's in this? This ain't real. Where's, where's the real stuff at? <laughs> this it's movie like, magic is bullshit." <laughs> Yeah, it's like, dude, it's a movie. It's like, I thought y'all were giving out the real stuff. Yeah, he was probably the same person who was like, every time like Kurt Russell walked away from the set, he'd like grab the grab the cup full of J and B and drink it and be like, ah, oh, this is just like sweet tea. Yeah, exactly. Just watered down sweet tea. What is going on here? <laughs> it's like yeah. people who get like really mad at like Always Sunny in Philadelphia when they find out that they just drink like watered down sweet tea and it's like. 
what? They don't drink beer all the time? It's like, who are you, <laughs> what do you clown? <laughs> don't you think the show would be very different if the actors were, like, actively super drunk all the time? <laughs> it's like, you realize they have to do multiple takes, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. I've never heard anybody complain about that with that show. But, yeah, I, if, I think on that show in particular, if they weren't doing that, those guys would all have probably died of alcohol poisoning <laughs> by this point. So, yes. Uh, so I'm sorry if any of Ray Stella's children are listening to this podcast. I'm not insinuating that anything was going on, but you never know. So, <laughs> Good one. So, nice aversion. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So after that, that uh, close up again of that, uh, that needle, then we cut to a whole new scene, which is um, this is another another scene that John Carpenter added kind of late in the process. Um, it's not in the script, this whole scene of McCready recording with his tape recorder. It's uh, it's one that John Carpenter was was worried that people weren't going to really kind of understand what was happening or, or really know like what the stakes were uh, at this point in the movie. So uh, just like that shot of the, you know, them standing around the blood where McCready kind of sums up what's going on. This is kind of not a repeat of that, but like another way for, you know, the lead character to kind of, you know, give us an update on what's happening. Yeah. And I guess it could also, it's something they just says about it being able to, or when it takes over you, it like rips through your clothes. I wasn't sure if he was saying like, even if you're wearing clothes, it can get through it or (laughs) like clothing is not enough to protect you. (laughs) Yeah. Like you can get through the fibers of it or like it'll rip through the clothing to still get to your skin or like, when it assimilates you, then you break out of your clothes, which, uh, I don't know. Cause it's like, we see, uh, we'll see people who get assimilated, but, or no, we already have, right? Yeah. Bennings is, I think Bennings is really the only person you see like, well, Bennings and, um, uh, windows much later in the movie are the only people you like see being like in the act of being assimilated. Like everybody else is either you don't see it or they've already been assimilated. Like when we see them attack. Yeah. And it doesn't rip through their clothes. Yeah. With Bennings, it's weird because like when windows walks in and finds him and he's got like the tentacles wrapped around him, he has pants on, but he doesn't have a shirt on. Like, like, I don't know if the thing like pulled his shirt off or yeah, to me, this line always implied that like, when it starts to like take you over, it like goes through that kind of freak out transformation period. Like we saw with the dogs where it like, mm-hmm. you know, like arms burst out and tentacles and, you know, all this weird stuff happens. It's just like part of the assimilation process. And that's why it cuts holes in the clothing. But yeah, the Bennings thing is like, it's pretty, it's like, like it feels like it almost like gingerly lifted his shirt off of him before it you know, started to attack him. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, like the whole Bennings thing seems to like debunk what McCready is saying here. And then if you, if you let that be what it is, then again, this is just like setting up for the misdirection when we do find some ripped clothing that belong to someone and then it makes you think, well, based off what McCready says, this person's clothing means that they are now the thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things where this has been like very carefully set up through the movie. Like this is it's the first time that somebody like specifically brings up the clothing and that how that relates to the thing. But, you know, obviously, I think we mentioned earlier this week that, you know, there's that scene where Nall's way way earlier in the movie like i don't know like maybe around the 20 minute mark or something um where Nala's is like you know he finds some torn up dirty underwear in the kitchen trash can so we mm-hmm. you know there's already been sure like you found it 
<laughs> yeah. He's like, uh, yeah, somebody pooped their pants and left this in the kitchen. Uh, yeah. So maybe, uh, maybe Niles has a, um, has some, has some issues, uh, that he's just trying to hide there. <laughs> but, um, yeah, this is the first time where it's like, we understand why that's been like mentioned up until this point. And, you're right. Like the the fact that like the main character is saying it means like okay, so this is definitely true. Like, you know, when the thing takes you over, it rips through your clothes. So that when that does happen later, and there is, you know, a, somebody. Oh, I guess I won't spoil it. When there is somebody who they find their clothes torn up, you're like a hundred percent sure that person is infected, and it really throws throws everything into question. So it yeah. is, it's kind of like McCready uh, incriminating himself a little bit. Yeah, which is good. I, you know, that they definitely needed to happen in the film, but you know, you'll get there when you get there. But, you know, I, I, I kind of wrote down it's, you know, it's not, it's not, it is okay. It's okay for your protagonist to be wrong about something. So when he's like, I think it rips through your clothes, it's like, I, I was kind of like, you know what? He's probably wrong. I wonder if, if he wrote that for misdirection. I don't know if he wrote it. To be like, no, this is fact. I'm I'm having Kurt Russell give you factual exposition, so I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, you could definitely say that he's mistaken too, because obviously, I can't remember if he says it in this minute or in the next one, where he says, "I'm, you know, I'm really tired. Everybody's really tired," and he's obviously, you know, he's drinking a lot too. So maybe, <laughs> maybe he's not in like the best uh, state of mind to be making like these these. Uh, you know, laying down these facts about how the thing works or doesn't work. <laughs> have you ever have you ever had J and B? I have not. No. Have you? <laughs> uh, no, I've had a lot of different type of. See, I don't usually mess with blendeds. Uh, I usually just go for like the single malt scotch. But so, I mean, I'll probably try it now. Just be like, hey, this is what uh, McCready was drinking in uh, the thing. But I'm surprised you haven't, so shame on you. Listeners, if you're listening, <laughs> please mail Harper a bottle of J&B. <laughs> well, and also a cowboy hat. Well, yeah, I, I'll take the cowboy hat. I'm actually, I actually don't drink, so I would, it, would have, it would go to waste, unfortunately. I'd have to, maybe I'd give it away at a, as, a, as a contest or something. But uh, I would love it if somebody would send me a gigantic cowboy hat a la McCready. That would be wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> But yeah, so he's just kind of, you know, having a drink in the dark here and and doing his little tape recording thing. So, yeah, he talks about the clothes, but he also talks about how, you know, he's he's doing this tape recording. He's obviously kind of doing it for our benefit as the audience. But he says, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm recording this. So there's some kind of record in case none of us make it, which is another point of like, wow, like this movie has really changed in tone where we're at the point now where there's like the main character really believes there's a good chance that none of these people are going to survive this ordeal. Um, and that's why he's recording this, which is a pretty dark, it's a pretty dark scene. If you look at it from that perspective, I guess. Yeah. I mean, well, he's, uh, he's kind of like one of your Sam Peckinpah type characters where he's, it's a, it's a flawed protagonist. And, uh, I think I always kind of like those characters like in Sam Peckinpah films or like Terry Gillum films and, here with this film it's like it's a flawed character and the story kind of ends with them i don't know I, I i like characters like this because they always get like it's not a happy ending but for the character they always feel like it's like 
eh, this is probably what I deserve, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, this is kind of, a, it's a real deal kind of ending or end character. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and yeah, I mean, it's easy to say that, that McCready's just kind of like an anti-hero, but he's really not even that. Like, he's he is kind of hard to pin down. He's a very interesting character because in some ways he's kind of like the reluctant hero where he doesn't really, you know, there's like the scene in the movie where he's like, I just want to get back to my shack and get drunk. Like, I don't, I don't want to get involved. And then, but then once he does get involved, he's like, you know, he, he feels like he has to take charge and do something because he's the only one that's really seeing like what's at stake here. And he's trying to convince everybody else of how big this problem is. And, you know, because they were like, you know, earlier, just a few minutes before this, uh, Gary's like, oh, I guess we'll just, you know, wait till winter's over. <laughs> and he's like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no, I don't think we can do that. So, yeah, he's a he's a very interesting character. We, we talked about last week, too, that the whole him like, you know, pouring the pouring the scotch in the in the computer is like a it's like almost like a metaphor for him in the entire movie where like he's calm and in control until the point when things turn on him. And then he's like ready to burn the whole thing down rather than rather than lose like which is what we kind of see when he uh when everybody turns on him sometimes that's the hero you need i <laughs> can't believe i said that <laughs> very well he's so mccready is our dark knight basically yeah that sounds about right <laughs> <laughs> he's our silent guardian so i'm not usually familiar with the tape recorder uh because I was born in 1992, um, but you know, like <laughs> I had to stare quite a bit at the buttons because I'm I'm sure, like, for people during that time, they knew where the stops and where the rewind button is and the record button. So I guess they knew what he was doing, but I was. It took me a while, and I guess there's an important part of that that happens tomorrow, right? So I guess I'll save that. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, yeah, tomorrow we'll definitely get into kind of what he's doing there when he's kind of messing around with it, but because it is interesting. But yeah, it is. This is maybe one of the few moments, this and the scene with the computer simulation that we talked about a few weeks back are maybe the two moments where this, where you've noticed that this movie takes place in the 80s and not, you know, because otherwise there's not a whole lot to like tie it to a specific time period. Like, you know, there's no cars, there's no, you know, they're not wearing like normal street clothes. So you don't see them like wearing like eighties, you know, nobody's wearing like parachute pants or, or shoulder pads or anything like that. You, because they're, you know, they're all wearing this winter gear and they're isolated from most of society. So for the most part, everything looks kind of timeless, but then yeah, with the computer and then with, with this moment where, you know, I don't know if this was filmed now, would he just be like doing a voice memo into his iPhone? Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. But then he'd be like, Oh wait, I can just send this to someone. <laughs> <laughs> that would, the movie would change dramatically when he suddenly realized that he had 3G and could get a text message out. <laughs> yeah. See, like this, uh, you, uh, you can't isolate anyone anymore. <laughs> so you can't do films like this. It has to be like, I don't know, you have to like completely strip them of any resources. Yeah, we we talked about that, and it might have even been that same week with the computer. Actually, where uh, I think it was me and Ryan talk about how every every horror movie now that's like the first thing they have to get out of the way is like, why don't cell phones work? Why don't they have uh, internet? Yeah. Because otherwise, <laughs> the entire plot just totally falls apart. Which I guess should maybe make us all feel a little safer that like horror movie scenarios are much less likely to happen to us in the modern era because it's 
pretty unlikely that you're going to go somewhere that doesn't have cell service or Wi-Fi. <laughs> or the horror film is like, well, what if the killer is the internet and it's in your <laughs> Skype? And it's like, what if it's in your phone and you like miss a phone call and you, then you die? And it's like, all right, uh, how about we just don't make a horror film? We just put our money somewhere else. <laughs> Yeah, there's. I'm wondering maybe now if there there was a movie in around the same time as this movie where the tape recorder was made the villain, where it was like an evil tape recorder that would, uh, you know, if you recorded your voice, it would steal your soul or something. It sounds like a Goosebumps episode. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it kind of does. <laughs> you should write that. Yo, let's write it. Um, I I thought the the camera shot when we start this scene with uh, Kurt Russell, mm-hmm. um, it's very voyeuristic but yeah it's you know it's behind the shelf cabinet almost and then it it kind of moves as if someone's stalking yeah even though we're we're pretty close to him (laughs) yeah there's definitely there's a lot of that um we saw a lot of that really early in the movie when they're at the norwegian base um like every shot in that base is like that where the camera's like slowly moving and there's a lot of stuff in the foreground and yeah, it definitely comes from Carpenter's like, you know, Halloween days where it's everything feels like it's from like the killer's perspective or like there's just this ominous like, you know, what's watching him. And I, I think it works. This scene especially works really well because on top of that kind of, you know, where you have that shelf in the foreground when the when the scene starts, there's also like the open door behind him where like, you know, I, I feel like when I watched this movie the first time, I was probably my eyes were probably like totally fixed on that hallway behind him, like expecting something to pop up at any minute. You know what? I never did. I now that you mention them, I'm over here like, why didn't anything walk by? Or, you know, why isn't there a child like a ghost child standing right there or something? You know? <laughs> something spooky. An but evil like, cell phone. Yeah, evil cell phone. <laughs> Yo, I'm from the year two thousand seventeen. I'm here to uh not deliver that text message that you wanted to send. <laughs> um But yeah, I guess you know, when it gets really behind him you can start seeing like the hallway extend a bit mm-hmm. then you think maybe someone could be right there in that shadow but yeah they didn't do that so but i think that's good that's some good restraint right there we don't need stuff like that because it's uh what he's saying i think is is somewhat important and you don't want to dilute that with just like a spooky jump scare or yeah it's not really not really a jump scare yeah well and, and they kind of do that like we'll talk about it tomorrow but they like the next scene has like a really similar visual setup too, like, except it's McCready, you know, coming in through the hallway. So maybe that's partly why too. Is it like these two scenes would be like weirdly similar if somebody popped in right at the end too. Mm-hmm. I'm going to hide this podcast when I'm finished. If none of us make it, at least there'll be some kind of record. We have no way of reaching the listeners to tell them to support the show by using the donate button at thethingminute.com while we're stuck here in this storm. If only they knew. (sighs) There's nothing else I can do. Just wait. Harper, out. I also noticed we haven't really heard any music in this week. I don't know if... I mean, I, I love it because in moments like this where it's quiet and... Something that's always struck out to me is uh, when someone is kind of very uh, quiet when they're talking, it really gets people to like lean in and try to listen. So it like gets people's focus. I had a manager who always talked really quiet on purpose. So people would always like really pay attention to him. Yeah. And I feel like when you have moments like that here, 
or just in films in general, like people are like leaning in and like, it's important not to have music. So like you can kind of catch people off guard sometimes if you wanted to, because they're like so invested right now that it's like, if someone like dropped their drink in the theater, you'd like freak out because <laughs> you just, <laughs> it's so quiet. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I actually, I have it written down for tomorrow because tomorrow is, uh, tomorrow's minute has the first music that we've heard for like 14 minutes. Like the last time we heard music was way back in like minute 52 or something. I, I can't remember exactly when, um, but, uh, oh, it's when the, when they're, when they're burning the, the bodies of the, the double face thing and Bennings and stuff, so, which is, that's, that's like a, that feels like a long way back. So this has been a, a pretty long period without any music. And yeah, I think you're right. It's like, partly it's like, it, it really kind of grabs your focus, but it also is like, it makes it really kind of even more eerie because you don't, you just don't need the music because like the characters actions and, and the cinematography already make everything so kind of uneasy and, and make you understand what's going on and what's at stake. So the music would just kind of be like almost over the top for these scenes. So it's, it's nice. And it makes it a bigger deal when the music comes back too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's not, it's not always like, um, how, how would I say it? It's like the absence of music is still technically music. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, you know, you're hearing the music of, like, the sound design of the movie and the dialogue and all that, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is, is the sound design of this movie is super good. So that's, you know, I don't know if there's been anything, like, particularly really interesting for the last, like, five or six minutes in the sound design. But, um, yeah, this movie does have really, really interesting sounds in it, too. It was pretty important in uh, Minute 62 with, like, you didn't see the flamethrower kind of destroy everything but you heard it and it did you know there's good sound um sound design there and sound mixing um but yeah i mean if you're gonna have a good horror film it's got to have good sound design right it means that's that's the whole point <laughs> yeah for sure no and, and you know having it really quiet without the music also really accentuates those sounds like um i was just thinking about in the last minute when norris takes the um when he, you know, pulls the liquid out of the vial with the, um, with the needle, there's that little like kind of rubber squeak too. And it's like, you know, if, if you were in a theater and listening to this at a high volume, like these, those scenes are so quiet, like even a sound like that, you know, like you said, if somebody dropped their drink, maybe a sound like that would make you kind of jump a little bit just cause you're so on mm -hmm. edge. Yeah. I mean, uh, what is it like, uh, the paranormal activity films, like there's no music in those. And I, I know, like, they're found footage, and so they wouldn't really have music, but it's, like, um, movies like that where it's, like, it's so quiet, and then, like, um, my kitchen does, like, this weird, like, light popping sound every now and then, and, like, stuff like that. You're, like, okay, uh, stop that. Don't <laughs> quit it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, like, it's an old sound designer's kind of adage that, like, you know, a, a, a loud noise is only as loud as the silence that came right before it. Like, that's why, you know, once, once you kind of catch on to that in modern movies, it's like, it's so easy to predict when there's about to be a jump scare because everything will suddenly get really quiet right before it happens. And it's like, oh, somebody's about to be behind that refrigerator door and they close it for sure. <laughs> yeah. And, and see, that's why this film works so well is because there's so much silence and so much absence of music mm -hmm. that it could happen at any time. <laughs> yeah. It's, there's a lot of like, um, you know, like the, the whole, I think we talked about that entire sequence at the Norwegian camp 
there's like building up this like crazy tension where you keep expecting something to jump out or like a body to fall out. And they, they had actually filmed some of that. And there's a lot of that in the script and Carpenter cut all that out. So it's like that scene and this scene too is just full of just like all it does is build tension and does like will not give you a release for it. So that like when the big stuff does go down, like, you know, from here, probably the next really big thing is, um, is with uh, Norris, I guess, you know, when that does happen, it's like, oh my, like it'll just, you know, makes you jump out of your skin because it, you've been so, you've been led to, you know, get so tense from all the, the quiet and the lead up to it. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the Norwegian, when they go visit that camp, that has like 90% of the whole film's like music, I feel like. I mean, I remember that is like the only part in the film that stuck out to me where it's like, all right, we got some synthesizer action in, in here. Yeah, yeah, the score is really interesting, and it's. I, I actually I don't own the soundtrack. I really I need to to get it, but I've I've been listening to it on YouTube a lot, and it's um, it's there's really there's a lot of really interesting bits in there that aren't used in the movie, and I, I always wonder like how that would change, but change the movie. But um, some of the more like kind of synthesizer-y bits that are not used are are pretty pretty cool. It's a great soundtrack. So yeah, the last thing, well, I had two two more quick things to mention for this one uh, related to what McCready says. And so one of them is that he, while he's recording, he says that uh, the storm's been hitting us hard now for 48 hours, which is, I never noticed that line before, but it's all of a sudden like jumps us forward two days from the last time we saw them. And it's like, I'm not exactly sure why there is that time jump Um aside from the fact that we get the impression that they're all just like kind of exhausted and at, at wit's end. And, you know, if they fall asleep, they might be taken over kind of thing. Yeah. I never, wow. I never, really? He said 48 hours. Yeah. I, I never <laughs> noticed it before I was taking notes for this minute either. <laughs> I guess once you hear the six hour thing, you kind of like shut your brain off of time you know, like, <laughs> and you kind of assume like, that the six hours is like the end game. It's like, right. That's where we're trying to get this thing done in six hours. Now you're telling me those six hours didn't even matter. Right. Like, that's definitely <laughs> the impression they give you. So it is weird that now it's like, okay, well the storm's been going already for two days now and they've been in this situation. Like it makes you wonder like what's been happening for the last 48 hours. Like is everybody just kind of laying low and I guess all they're, they're all just waiting for Fuchs to come up with a new test. Yeah, because you think that he's doing this while Norris is administering the morphine. Like, that he was just like, all right, they're going to do that. I'm going to go to my room and drink some scotch and record something real quick. And it's like, no, nah, this is two days after that. Yeah. Which is, because it's a hard cut between mm-hmm. Norris delivering the shot you know, the, yeah, it's just a hard cut. There's no, you don't get the whiteout that you've been getting throughout the film. So, mm-hmm. which would have kind of, you would think there should have been a, some sort of fade out. Yeah, because it is odd that would that would signal that the storm has come, or like a cut to the outside where you see the storm hitting. Like, yeah, I just I never even noticed that line, and maybe that's because like there's nothing else to support that. Like, if you cut that line out, the movie would not change at all. Like having that time jump, I'm not sure what that really accomplishes. And, and there's nothing else aside from that line that really gives us that sense that that's happening. I, I get, I mean, the only reason I could see, I don't know why it's 48 hours, but I could see if he was saying like, you know, it's, it's been, it's been eight hours since, uh, since, uh, we, we gave them the morphine and now the storm is really 
started to hit us. Like that would have accomplished the exact same yeah, thing. Yeah. So I'm not sure why it's like two days later. <laughs> or like it's been 48 hours since we last saw it. So everyone's kind of questioning whether it's gone now or yeah. it's still in the, in some bun or like, yeah, I think either cut that line out or cut out the six hour one. Cause I, I don't know. It just kind of doesn't really matter. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, those two That's lines weird. are definitely kind of at odds. And I, I never noticed this one at all. Like, this is <laughs> as many times as I've watched this movie, this is the first time I noticed he, he said that. So, yeah. Strange. And if it doesn't, if the storm doesn't matter, well, well I'm going to, in my opinion, it doesn't matter. You could keep the 48 hours, but make it about something more relevant. Like, hey, it's been, like I said, it's been 48 hours since we last uh, had contact with it Mm -hmm. to like you know or less outbreak we've seen so we're not sure if we got everyone Uh, or like we're running out of morphine or like like give their reason for so much time to have passed like i know generator only has 48 more hours yeah i don't know yeah it is very odd it's like a very specific amount of time that suddenly has passed for no apparent reason (laughs) yeah for something that doesn't seem important yeah so it is odd. I never noticed it. But I guess that's what you get when you watch watch the movie this closely. You pick apart these weird little lines. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't it doesn't tarnish the film. I we'll just we'll just forget it. Yeah. Let's just put that let's, forget we ever know, mentioned it. Let's let's stop the recorder. Let's rewind a bit <laughs> and then let's record over it. <laughs> that sounds like an excellent job. I I think I think you learned that from somebody. Um Yeah. <laughs> um before before we record over this episode, I, the only other thing I had that I wanted to mention is that I, I thought it was interesting that he specifically says that Windows found these shredded long johns, the ones that he's kind of talking about, because that means they're different from the other shredded long johns that Nalls found earlier. So that means there are at least two people who have had, you know, who have been assimilated and had their long johns ripped apart, unless somebody's just like, you know, running around ripping apart people's underwear. <laughs> <laughs> what a what a terrible person. <laughs> be a really weird, like psychopathic thing to do. <laughs> or just like a jackass prank or something. <laughs> um unless Nalls was like yelling at everyone, no one paid attention to him, and then Windows was like, Hey, what is this? Yo, who's <laughs> ripping up lawn johns over here? And then they're you know, like, Oh yeah, Windows found that and Nalls is like Man, I found that. What are you talking about? <laughs> Nalls is always getting the short end of the stick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe that's what happened. Let's let's say that happened. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I think I think that's more or less um, all I had for this one. Uh, do you have anything else that you uh, noticed about this one or wanted to bring up? Um, no. Did you go through both your two facts or? I, I... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it was it was the the forty eight hours thing, and then the the windows finding. Another uh, another pair of shredded long johns. <laughs> um, have you ever firearm database found what this gun is that McCready has? What's that? Have you have <laughs> so there's this thing called the Internet uh, <laughs> Movies Firearm Database oh. where you can look up all the firearms within a film. No, I've and never I heard of that. To know if, really? Oh well, one day maybe when you get Crystal Beth on your show. <laughs> As all movies by minutes podcasts do, she she loves doing this. So I'm I'm gonna do it right now and see what happens. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. 
we're going to find out what kind of gun McCready has. Yeah, now I'm interested. Uh, so Blair has a Colt Detective Special Third Generation, and McCready. Oh no, this is Gary's gun. Oh no, Gary and McCready have the same gun. Oh, it is the same gun, duh, because Gary with two R's gave it to him. <laughs> um, he has a Colt Trooper Mark III. Yeah, interesting. I totally so forgot about Blair's gun. I don't know why. That, that's just that's it goes along with those like big ass rifles that Windows was was grabbing. It's like another gun that nobody seems to remember they could go and grab. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, there's only five weapons in the entire movie according to the database. So what what are the other two? Go. The uh, the I guess the flamethrower is one. So the HK9382 is a rifle that the Norwegians use. Ah, uh, yeah. And then the Ithaca 37, that's a shotgun. Um, that's when they use with the dogs. And oh, right. then okay. the flamethrower is an M2A17 flamethrower. Interesting. And it comes with a gas mask. Well, that's that just nice. <laughs> yeah. It's very handy. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Interesting. Oh, and the, and the grenade, the N, the ANM14 incendiary grenade. Wow. Well, I can't believe this is. I've been like, I felt like in a lot of cases that I've gone like way too in depth on some of my trivia. Like, I remember early on when I I gave the fact about like what kind of helicopter it was, and I was like, this is so boring. Like nobody's gonna care about this. But man, this is the whole genre of trivia that I I didn't even think about so thank you for bringing that to light yeah i mean in this country you gotta talk about guns well hell you yeah. sell your show <laughs> <laughs> i mean all, all you listeners have been waiting for 64 minutes for me to talk about the guns so i'm sorry it took this long for me to get to that <laughs> there you go <laughs> so thank you for bringing that to light <laughs> yeah no problem <laughs> all right so um i think that'll uh, that'll probably do us uh do you have anything else you wanted to to mention no, I think I did more than enough. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to check. Uh, maybe tomorrow we'll see if we can find the internet tape recorder database and see if we can find out what kind of tape recorder this is that McCready is using. I want to know if someone has found the exact episode of that Let's Make a Deal. And it's like, look, this is the episode that they watched. I am 100% positive that uh, Todd Cameron of Outpost 31, who was on uh, minutes uh, 11 through 15, I'm 100% sure that if I asked him right now, he could tell me exactly what episode that was and when it aired and probably who those contestants were. He's probably talked to them over the phone. (laughs) Perfect, perfect. (laughs) So we'll have to follow up on that. Todd, if you're listening, please let us know. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so I think that'll wrap up uh, Minute 64. But um, one thing you can do if you're enjoying this podcast is to check out moviesbyminutes.com for a whole collection of other podcasts like this one and like the ones that that Mark has, has worked on as well. So there are a ton of really cool and interesting shows and that all kind of, uh, you know, they all do it in, in different ways, but everybody follows in some shape or form the uh, the minute format of, uh, you know, diving extremely deeply into their favorite movies. So if you have another movie that you're really fond of, I suggest you go to moviesbyminutes.com and check. And if there's not a show for it already, then maybe you should start it and uh, and add to the add to the community. There's there's always room for one more. So check those out. They are a ton of fun, and and Movies by Minute podcasts will immediately take over all of your podcast listening time. So beware of that, I guess. But anyways, uh, while you're checking all those new podcasts out, make sure you come back tomorrow for another episode of The Thing Minute. Thanks for listening. 
If you enjoyed the show, please go to thethingminute.com. There you'll find the show notes with links to anything we talked about on this episode and lots of other resources on The Thing. You can also find us on Twitter at The Thing Minute and on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Thing Minute. But most importantly, subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. Check out other podcasts like this at moviesbyminutes.com and be sure to head over to starwarsminute.com to listen to the team that started it all. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Harper signing out.